You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning. How y'all doing, church? Man, it's good to be here. We are going to continue on in the book of Ruth, but I just want to I want to say this. So far, we started this book with a funeral, and last week we had a wedding. And I want you to understand that when you're going through the the worst moments in your life, that it is not bigger than God and His sovereign plan. Amen? That because of Him, that He is who He says He is, we can go from tragedy to triumph. We we don't have to, to wallow in that. Now, I don't want to I don't want to minimize the fact that we do go through these things, that we go through some, some struggle, that we go through heartache, that we go through seasons in our life that we don't want to go through. But what I want us to know and what we have to believe is that God is at work. What we have to believe is that even in those darkest moments, that God is light. And because He is light, then we are never too dark. We are never too far gone. We are never out of his reach. What happens a lot of times is we think we're so far down and and God's arms are too short to reach us. And I want to promise you that my God's arms are not too short to reach anyone, no matter how deep, no matter how far we are away. What looks like ruin, God can redeem. And that's what this entire series has been about, the sovereignty of God. We started this with, with a couple, with Elimelech and Naomi, and there's a famine in Bethlehem, and Elimelech is saying, hey, we need to go somewhere else. We don't want to die here, so I'm going to move my family to Moab. The problem with that was God said, don't go to Moab. So he allowed his temporary circumstances to dictate a decision that God had told him not to do. So he, he moves to Moab. His two sons marry Moabite women, and then we see within a span of 10 years, Elimelech is dead, and both sons are dead. Naomi is now left as a widow, and she has lost two sons. So she's, she's left with two daughters-in-law. That's, that's who's left with her. We have Orpah, and we have Ruth. Orpah's like, I'm out. I'm going back to Moab. We never hear about her again. Ruth says, somehow, because of the way you're handling all this pain, all this tragedy, Naomi, because of even though you're not perfect, even though the decisions you're making, they don't always align with God. There's some kind of glimmer of hope in you, and that's the hope that I want. I want your God to be my God. And we see that Ruth has a conversion moment where she begins a relationship with the God of the universe. They move back to Bethlehem, and we see that Ruth begins to to work, for her and Naomi as she just so happens to come upon the field of Boaz. And we talked about last week that nothing just so happens to happen, that in his providence, God works things out. So she shows up on this field of this guy named Boaz. She begins to glean on the outside of the field, as was the custom in that time. And Boaz says, hey, I don't want you to just glean on the outside. I want you to be a part of the family. So I want you to get everything that you want. So she goes back. We see last week that they, they had a date, that Naomi set them up. 
that Naomi says, hey, Ruth, this is where he's going to be. I want you to go there. I want you to uncover his feet, lay there, and then he will tell you what to do. Ashley still hasn't memorized that verse. I'm still, I'm still working on that. But then we see through that, through that date that, that purity remains intact, that she leaves, she goes home, and she tells Naomi what happened. We did hear last week that there was this guy this, this redeemer, so to speak, and we'll talk about what a kinsman redeemer is this morning, but there was a guy that was ahead of Boaz. So Boaz is like, hey, I, I want to redeem you, but I just, I can't because there's someone else in front. And that's where we pick up in chapter four here in the book of Ruth. Verse one says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So here's just another thing of all the people in the world that could just come by. This Redeemer that Boaz had spoken about walks by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Basically, this is what's happening. This Redeemer, he's walking by. Boaz, understanding the legal system of this time, knowing that he doesn't have the right to redeem this, this land that we're going to talk about, to redeem Ruth, to redeem Naomi. He doesn't have that right. There's another redeemer in front of him. So he says, hey, friend, he knows his name. So this is, this is the cool part of this to me, is that he's basically saying, hey, Mr. What's-His-Face, like you're not even significant enough to put your name in here. It'd be like you, you not remembering someone's name, right? How many of you are good with names? All right, cool. I'm not at all. So if you come up to me and like, hey, Pastor Dustin, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what's up, brother? Like, that means that I don't remember your name, probably. He knew his name, but he's just like, hey, friend, meaning what's his face? Not significant. I want you to come and sit down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Of course he will redeem it. Like land is everything in this culture. Like if the more land you had, the more status you had. The, the more land you had, your, your power, your influence grew. It was just building the portfolio. So this Redeemer's like, there's land available for me to buy. I can redeem it. Of course, I will, I will redeem it. And we think, Boaz, what are you doing? Like, I thought you wanted to redeem Ruth. I thought you wanted to marry her. I thought you wanted to be with her. And we're going to find out that Boaz, because of his, his relationship with God because he he trusted in God's sovereignty. He was going to do everything the right way, but he knew exactly what he was doing. Verse 5, he says, here's some fine print, just so you know before you redeem this. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the land or from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So basically this is what he's saying. Hey, you can get this land, but you get a widow from Moab and you get a mother-in-law. Good luck. Do you want it? 
It's basically like you're looking for a home and the realtor's showing you like your dream home and you're going, man, this kitchen is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted. This backsplash is perfect. Everything is great. You go to the master bedroom. It is amazing. There's a sitting area. There's, there's a master bathroom that it just blows your mind. And then you walk down the hall into one of the bedrooms and there's a mother-in-law sitting in a rocking chair in that room. And you say, excuse me, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I come with the house. You're like, yeah, so I don't think this is the house that I want. I don't even know you, and you're a mother-in-law. I definitely don't want you coming with the house. This is what is happening here. Verse 6, then the Redeemer said, well, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he's all for it. He has the right to redeem this land. Obviously, he has the resources to redeem this land because he was going to do it. But here's the deal. He didn't have the resolve to redeem it because he didn't want what came with it. He looked at the land and said, it's worth it. He looked at the people and said, you're not. And why were they not worth it to him? Because he didn't know them. All he knew is it was this Moabite woman, this woman from a country that was so far away from God, from the wrong side of the tracks, and it came with a mother-in-law. He didn't want that kind of baggage. So he says, after all, like second thought, I don't want this. Boaz would look at them and say, you are worth it. I will do it. See, this is the difference. This is the difference. Now, you have to understand this. That we're not redeemed just because we're worth it. We're redeemed because God says we're worth it. We're, we're redeemed because He looks at us and He knows us. And even though He knows us, even though He knows the darkness, even though He knows the sin, even though He knows us to our core, He still says, I want you. Man, there's no greater feeling in the world than that. Verse 7 says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. Now, before we read the rest of that verse, I, I want to read this to you out of the book of Deuteronomy because this is the framework of the law that is happening here. This is a, a legal thing that's going on. That there was a kinsman redeemer that was first in line, and this is the, the one that had the right to the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 says this, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies, and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetrate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Here's the deal. This was to shame this guy for the rest of his life. It's like, hey, who's that? It's like, that's no sandal spit face. Like, that's who that is. This is someone that, 
that didn't live up to what he was supposed to do. He decided he didn't want to redeem it. So this is the context of what's happening here. It says, now this was the custom. Back to Ruth, verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So there's no spitting in this case. It's just like, instead of signing the dotted line, we're going to give you the sandal. Seems weird to us. I get it. That's how it worked here. And we see and we'll find that Boaz is not the next of kin. What's his face is? There is, there is someone in front of Boaz. Which means that Boaz was not required whatsoever to redeem the land or Naomi or Ruth. That once the kinsman redeemer said no, then no one else had to do it. There was no requirement for someone else to step up. It was just this guy would be shamed for the rest of his life. So Boaz, he, he wasn't the next of kin. He wasn't required. But he wasn't just doing a, a legal thing. No, he had to jump hurdles. He had, to, he had to find some loopholes in order to be first in line to redeem the land and Ruth and Naomi. So he didn't do it just for legal reasons because he wasn't required. He did it out of love. Verse 8, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilin and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz, in this moment, he is making this legal. This is like the wedding. This is, this is hey, we are going to be together. This is a legal transaction. And this is... It. Man, in premarital counseling, this question gets brought up. Like, do we really have to make this legal? Can we just do this? Does it really have to be a legal thing? And the answer is yes. Like, the land says it needs to be legal. It needs to be legal. There's no such thing as being married in your heart. Like, that's not a thing. That's usually just a guy not wanting to commit. I'm just throwing that out there for all you ladies. No, th there's a legal part of this, and he is performing this legal part. But here's the, here's the truth. He's not driven by the legality of the situation. He's driven by the love he has for Ruth. He's driven by the, the care that he has for Ruth. He is, he is becoming the answer to the prayer that he prayed over Ruth in chapter 2. When he said, may you find rest under the wings of provision and protection of the Lord. And then Ruth would come and say, well, maybe you are the provision and the protection. And then he is saying, hey, that is me. You're right. I am this for you. I love you. The Old Testament law is not driving his behavior. Love is driving his behavior. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. They, they went crazy. There's a celebration. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily 
and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, this is a weird blessing. I'm going to tell you why, because this story of Rachel and Leah is crazy. So there's this guy named Jacob. He wants to marry one of the sisters. He's in love with with the younger sister. He works for seven years. The father's like, you can have her in seven years. He works for seven years. And then on the night of consummation, which which was the wedding night for them, that was a part of the wedding ceremony for them. That consummated everything. Then he wakes up the next morning and realizes it's the older sister. And you think your family's jacked up. This dude just married and slept with the wrong person. Yeah, crazy. So he's like, oh, no. So he goes back to his father-in-law and says, hey, this is the wrong one. And the father's like, yeah, I know nobody else would marry her. So I needed somebody to do it. So he's like, well, I want the younger one. Like, what can I do? And he's like, we'll work for seven more years. So he works for seven more years and he marries her. However, he's married to both. This is jacked up. Can you imagine like Thanksgiving dinner? And it's like one year, Rachel's cooking, and everything's great. The next year, Leah's cooking, and it's like, is it better than Rachel? And then there's this big thing going on. Like, I couldn't even imagine this scenario. But it, it turns out that they had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes. So God worked in this jacked-up situation with people mismarrying, people getting all confused, people all jacked up, and through that come 12 boys who would provide the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's a weird blessing, but I think it's in there because it's like, hey, I know that this is kind of jacked up, that Ruth is from Moab, that, that maybe her past is a little, a little dark, that maybe some things aren't perfect, but I want you to know that even in the imperfection, God is perfect, and He is sovereign, and He can work these things out, and He can change the world through ordinary, jacked up people. Verse 12, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay. This is another jacked up story. We're not going to go through this whole story, but I just want you to know that this was, this was someone who ended up dressing up like a prostitute, sleeping with her father-in-law to trick him. She gets pregnant. Her father-in-law is like, hey, you know what? You're going to be put to death because you got pregnant out of wedlock. And then she's like, oh, actually, it's your kid. And he's like, okay, maybe you shouldn't be put to death. Like, this is what's happening. And then they, they have Perez, and we see that Perez is in the lineage of Jesus. So it's just another example that in the chaos, in the, the sin, in the struggle, in the darkness, God still comes through and provides and does something miraculously like only He can. Now, this is why I push life groups and small groups a lot here. And I want you to know that when, when, you go to, when you go to a small group, that you may think you're too jacked up to go to a small group, that your life's just too out of whack. But when you get to prayer time and people start, you know, throwing their requests out, you realize, hmm, I'm not so bad. Like, look at some of these people. That's what it's like. You're like, well, at least I'm, I'm not like having my father-in-law's baby. Like, we're not that jacked up all the time. And God still works through that stuff. 
And we have multiple opportunities here for you to join a group. We have a women's group that meets once a month. We have a men's group that meets once a month. We have a brand new life group that is starting up this coming Thursday. And I know we, we throw a lot of different names out. So we've had a grow group that, that meets on Wednesday nights that four-week studies, and then we take a break in four weeks. So those grow groups on Wednesday nights are over. This life group is not that. It is something different. Our life groups meet at someone's house. They have dinner together. It's a small, small group of people, and they just dig into whatever life issues, whatever study, whatever the group is discussing, and they literally do life together. And we have one of those that we've been meeting for over a year now and is very healthy and is very strong and we have another one starting up this coming Thursday and if you want information on that you just go to the next steps table at the end of service and you can get some information on that and the men's group and the women's group and any other thing you want to get information on is at the next steps table that's my plug for that these two train wrecks of stories I think that these were the blessings because if God can redeem these situations, He can redeem anything. I don't know if you've ever thought that you were just too far gone for God to redeem. I don't know if you ever thought that you you didn't have gifts and abilities and strengths that God could use. I don't know if you've ever went through life thinking that you were insignificant. If, If any of that applies to you, I want you to know that God can redeem even your lowest moments. That He can redeem even those times that you think you don't matter. Because God would look at you unlike what's-his-face and He would say, you are worth it. But you have to believe that you are worth it to Him. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. Now, I know that is very graphic. But it is very literal that they are consummating their marriage in this moment. And that's another way that we know they did not cross the line before marriage. There was no premarital sex happening. She stayed at his feet the whole time she left. Now they're married. And it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. It's exactly what it means. They are consummating their marriage in this moment. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. It's like a one shot, it's over. She's pregnant. Like, way to go, Boaz. He's a sniper. Like, it's just, she's pregnant now. She, she bore a son. And th- this, is, this is the thing that, we, this has been building up for four chapters. And in one verse, we see covenant consummation and conception. It's like, so it's building up, building up, building up, and boom, one verse, it's over. They get married, they consummate, she gets pregnant. It reminds me of my honeymoon. She would have never in a million years thought that this was possible for her. Now I want you to think, she was married, she was married to Malon for 10 years. And you have to, you have to imagine a little bit that that they were trying to have a baby. And then she goes through all this, this pain, all this suffering, all these changes. 
So I can imagine that she had to believe that this just wasn't a possibility for her, that getting pregnant just wasn't in the cards for her. And in the, the, one of the lowest seasons of her life, God has now transformed that season and he's begun to redeem it. And now she is pregnant. She has gone from weeping to wedding, from misery to motherhood. And it's nothing that she did. It's the sovereignty of God. Then the women said to Naomi, now Naomi is the, the grandma, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Now, it's really hard to understand when you look at the Hebrew, like exactly who they're talking about being the, the Redeemer if they're talking about Boaz, if they're talking about the little baby, if they're talking about God. And I think it's probably muddy on purpose. But I believe that they're talking about God being the perfect kinsman redeemer. That when this book starts, we see a process of sanctification in the life of Ruth. She's a foreigner. She meets Boaz, she gets to know him a little bit. They go on a date. He doesn't call for a while. Mother-in-law sets up another date. She goes to his house. She uncovers his feet. He wakes up at midnight. Like, who are you? I'm Ruth. Everything is just crazy. And then they, they get intimate. So it goes from foreigner to intimacy. And it's the process of how God nourishes and restores us as believers. That when we, when we begin a relationship with Jesus... It's not automatically an intimate, deep relationship. That we were, we were foreigners. We were far away from him. And then he brings us into the family. And then over time, sanctification begins to happen. Over time, we begin to understand who God is. We begin to understand who we are in light of who he is. And over time, we move from foreigner to an intimate, deep relationship with him. See, Jesus didn't just die for us to have life. He died for us to have it in all of its abundance. Eternity doesn't start when you die. Eternity starts when you have the moment of salvation in your life. It's all about Him. It always has been. It always will be. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. I want you to remember when she, when she leaves Moab after the men die, she goes back to Bethlehem. They say, hey, is this Naomi, which means sweetness? And she's like, no, don't call me sweetness. Call me Mara, which means bitter because my hands are empty. And now she sits there with, the, with her grandbaby in her hands. So God is, is a restorer God. He's not just some, some huge cosmic being that we can't get to know and that doesn't care about us. He is a huge cosmic being, but He's one that cares about the details of your life. He's one that, that cares when, when your hands are empty and He wants to fill your hands with, with Him and His glory. He wants your life to be consumed with Him for His glory and your joy. 
And there's, there's no greater joy than knowing Jesus. You can try all the things that this world has to offer, and I promise you this, it will not finally and fully satisfy you. Like, it just can't do it. Because we were created in the image of God, and as image bearers of Him, we need Him to fully and finally satisfy who we are. And when you're going through life and you're just feeling a little empty and you're feeling like you're, you're just longing for something, there's something out there that you, that you think you need or that you think you want, and I want you to know that it's Jesus. I want you to know that the longing that you have is Jesus. How many grandparents do we have in here? Don't be ashamed. Okay, thank you for being here because we need you. We need you at this church. If it wasn't for you, we'd be a church of like 20 and 30 year olds trying to make all the decisions. And that's probably not a good idea all the time. So we need you and your wisdom. So thank you for being here. I, I've always heard that it's just better to be a grandparent than a parent. And I think that that might be true because you get all the joy of the babies, but then you get to send them back and you don't have the, the responsibility and the accountability. And grandparents just treat their grandbabies different than they treated their kids. And that's just the truth. Like, my parents treat my, my kids way different than they treated me. Like, I don't know why they love them more than they love me. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, they gave birth to me, they raised me, and then they get to see the grandkids once a week, and they're just, you know, everything in this world. And I don't understand. But we need you, and thank you for being here. You are a big part of this church. And you may not think that. You may think, man, I, I'm just, I'm kind of riding out life. I'm retired or whatever it is for you. And I want you to know that you play a significant part in the body of Christ. And he's placed you here specifically to play a big part in this local body known as Impact Church. And we need you. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Really weird, but she let the women name him. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, you might think Obed is a weird name. I do too, but this is what it means. It means worshiper. Obed means worshiper. In chapter 1, there's nothing but, but sadness and weeping. And then we get to chapter 4, and, and Naomi's holding a worshiper in her hands. So we've gone from weeping to worship. And I think that this is in here because this, this starts, this whole book starts by saying, in the days of the judges. And the main theme of the day of the judges is that the, the people did what was right in their own eyes. That they were far away from God. So this was that time. And then we see through this single girl from Moab, God used her life and her legacy to take a people from the days of the judges to, to King David, who was a man after God's own heart. This one single woman from the wrong side of the tracks, from a country who cared nothing about God, with a broken past, with a broken marriage, with, with pain and suffering and death, he took her, and through her, we see King David comes. We're going to close this morning with this. Jesus is our perfect Redeemer. 
I believe that this entire book is in here to show us that Jesus is our perfect Redeemer. That no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're doing right now, no matter what pain you're going through, no matter what darkness you're in, that He is our perfect Redeemer and He can redeem you out and from anything. See, He stepped off the throne of heaven into humanity. I think that Boaz is a foreshadowing of what Christ would do for us. We see three things here that Jesus has the right to redeem. Jesus has the right to redeem us and He has the right to redeem us because He became a man. That He left His throne and then He became humanity. He knows what it feels like to fill in the blank. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it feels like to, to feel empty and to be at the end. He knows what it feels like to, to mourn. He knows what it feels like to, to be upset, whatever. Fill in the blank. He knows what it feels like because he became a man. Hebrews says that Jesus became our brother, which means that he has the right to redeem. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, because he came here to dwell among us. He has the right to redeem. But not only does he have the right to redeem. Jesus has the resources to redeem. We see that Jesus lived a perfect life. And no matter what you think and no matter how you feel, God demands perfection. God demands holiness because He is perfect. Because He is holy. He demands that from us. And we can't do that on our own. We needed someone to do for us what we could not do for Ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who, who was perfect, who was holy, who is perfect, who is holy, died a death that we deserve so we could live a life that we don't deserve to live. And He has the right to redeem us. And He has the resources to redeem us because of His perfection. And number three, and this is the most important to me, is that Jesus has the resolve to redeem. He loves us and He's willing to pay the price when, when What's-His-Face looked and saw that it was coming with Ruth and Naomi, he said, nope, not worth it. Jesus looks and sees all the sin, all the messed upness, everything about us and says, yep, worth it. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to pay the price in full for you. Jesus looks at you and He looks at me and He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Romans 5.8 says, but God chose His love 
for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see that he is the propitiation for our sin, which means the payment that satisfies. There's no other payment needed. He paid it. It's paid in full. It's satisfied on the cross. And he had the resolve to do that. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do this. He did it because he loved you. He wasn't driven by legality. He was driven by love for you. He has the resolve to redeem. I'm going to read Romans 8. A lot of people, and we say it here a lot, Romans 8, 28, that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that's a good verse, but then people usually stop. So I want to read verses 29 on to you this morning. And I want you to really grasp this concept. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is him becoming the kinsman redeemer for us. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is what this means, that when Jesus saves you, it doesn't stop. That he, he's got you all the way to glory. That once the glory train starts in your life, it doesn't stop. There's, there's no pausing. That once God saves you, and once you begin a relationship with Him, and He's got you, and He's got you all the way to glory. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is it any of this stuff? No. Is it, is it Ruth being born in Moab? No. Is it Ruth losing a husband? No. Is it your sin? Is it your past? Is it your doubts? What can separate you from the love of God? Paul answers that question and just in verse 37 says, no, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing at all. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the truth, that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter how you feel about yourself, that God says, I love you. And that Jesus, because of His humanity, because He came to this world to live 
among us because he lived a perfect, sinless life. He has the right to redeem and the resources to redeem. But more importantly, he has the resolve to redeem and says, I'm going all the way to the cross for you. He loves you. Man, more than anything else, I want you to know that He loves you. We say three things here, that we exist for people to know God's love, grow in God's love, and show God's love to the world. And that is in order. That it starts with knowing the love of God. Not knowing about it, but knowing it. Do you know the love of God this morning? Have you said yes to Jesus? Maybe, maybe this morning is the day that you say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're going through life and you want to be redeemed. You want to be used for something greater than yourself. And I'm here to tell you that He is the only one. He is the only way. That you do have a purpose, but it's a purpose He has given you. And it's a purpose that He will fulfill in you. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.